Hello and welcome to the Knowing Self, Knowing Others podcast, the fortnightly podcast discussing self-aware leadership with thinkers from around the globe. Join me, your host Nia Thomas, as we talk to today's guest. A very big welcome to today's show to Dr. Gerrit Peltzer. Hi Nia, thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure speaking with you today. It's great to have you on the show today. Gerrit is an executive coach and coach supervisor at Vivo Coaching. He's also an adjunct professor of leadership at the Institute for Management in Austria. He's a co-host of the Second Crack Leadership Podcast and based in Bangkok. So please do introduce yourself to guests, just in case there is something that I've missed in my introduction. Nia, your introduction was very thorough. I, I can hardly think of anything. Maybe just to add, so the, really the focus of my work is the individual executive coaching. And I use the tagline that I help leaders create the conditions in which people can be their best selves. So this already leads us to self-awareness. And I'm really curious where our discussion will take us today. And maybe also quickly to add that uh, my approach to coaching is influenced by two worlds. So by education, I'm a chemist. And so coming from a background in the natural sciences, I also try to take a scientific approach to coaching uh, by using the latest insights from neuroscience to help people change behaviors. And at the same time, as you indicated, I've spent almost the last two decades in Asia, have been influenced by the Eastern wisdom traditions as well, especially Zen Buddhism. And so being in touch with these different approaches to life and coaching leads, I believe, to a more uh, holistic approach in, in coaching. And perhaps also to quickly to add uh, the podcast that I'm running together with my friend Martin Aldagord. It's called Second Crack, the Leadership Podcast. We explore everyday leadership dilemmas and paradoxes, and we invite our listeners to self-reflect, which brings us again back to self-awareness. Most definitely which takes us very nicely into our very important five questions today. So really to set the scene, how do you define self-awareness? What does it mean for you? It's, it sounds like such an innocent question, but I think <laughs> it's it, it's not as easy as it sounds. So as the term indicates, self-awareness is about the ability to be aware of the self. But what is the self actually? And I mentioned my, my scientific background. I'm not aware of any scientific definition that everybody has agreed on. So when you look at psychologists, uh, some will say there is only one self. Others will argue that we have several selves and, and they're not talking about uh, uh, multiple personality disorder or anything like that. And then in, in neuroscience, we find some hints that clearly the brain is involved in constructing an identity or a self, but we can't really point to a particular location or region in the brain where we would say, you know, th this is the seed of the self. And then to make it even more complex in Zen Buddhism, you will find the concept of no self. And, and that is nothing uh, esoteric, actually. It's pretty much in line with um, what we know about from, from, from science. So let's say if there is such a thing as a self, then it's constantly changing. It's not fixed. So you and I and all our listeners, we are not the same persons today who we were 10 years ago. And in fact, we are actually changing every moment. It, it may be very 
marginal changes, but basically every second our cells change and so the self would change, right? And the second aspect of um, no self, or let's say in the Western world, we typically have the idea of an isolated self, which um, is a bit of an illusion, actually, because we are interconnected with our environment. So right now, as, as we are speaking, we are depending on the air that we breathe, which is mm -hmm. produced by plants. Our body physically consists of what we drink and eat. And nowadays, we also know that we massively depend on our gut bacteria. And these bacteria impact our moods and our decision-making. So the self, as we perceive it, is, is depending on our microbiome, right? Yeah. And also the self is strongly impacted by relationships with with other people more than most people think and these are extremely interesting questions to ponder both philosophically and scientifically but we might not have the time to do that in detail today but the bottom line for me here is we can safely say that at least the idea of an isolated and what should i say stable or non-changing self is based on a Western narrative, mm -hmm. a concept that we made up and believe in, and it's it's just a perception, not really a fact. But let's say for, for the sake of simplicity for our discussion today, I think we can also safely say that most of us have a sense of individual identity, a sense of self. And now coming back to your original question, what my definition of self-awareness is, is probably quite close to what, to what you call internal self-awareness. So awareness of my thinking, my values and beliefs, certain behaviors and patterns. And then also, let's say when I talk about patterns, maybe the typical reactions I have in certain circumstances. And um, most of my executive coaching engagements, they start with building self-awareness. And besides all the factors that we mentioned, there's another one that we have in common, but this is one of the areas that um, the clients I work with, you know, they're corporate leaders, all of them are very good at rational and logical thinking, but what they often neglect is this big aspect of emotions. And in the corporate world, emotions have the notion of being something fuzzy, mm -hmm. but Coming back to the neuroscience, what we call emotions are the results of neurobiological processes. And these processes permanently influence our decision-making and behavior most of the time without our conscious awareness. Yeah? Um, and so these, these processes are also much faster than the rational thinking. So we are not really rational beings, but merely rationalizing and i recently heard a fantastic ted talk from a from a neuroscientist and she said we are not thinking beings who feel but we are feeling beings who think oh i and like that I, I i summarized some of these aspects in a in a chapter which i recently wrote it's called soft skills through the lens of hard science insights into what leaders need to know about the brain it's just a chapter in a book which is called brains brought into the business and uh, it should hopefully be published in april this year oh, amazing 
It's interesting. I'm, I'm, as I'm hearing you speak, I'm, I'm suddenly realizing that the people that I have talked to and asked this very question to have either tended towards that very self um, as an as an insular being definition of self-awareness or the idea of the self as being a part of a community and I was very mm. drawn to the conversation that I had with Katrin Van Udhusten about selfless leadership where she is talking about that are we really individuals and how actually we're part yeah. of a society and we move within that society but then, as you described, it's that notion of self within that. Yes, and the Buddha famously said, there is clearly thinking, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there is a thinker. When it's raining, there is no rainer. So, you know, it might be all made up. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I may, I wanted to touch in, to an, uh, uh, on another aspect that I find important when it comes to self-awareness, and that is also awareness of the body. These rational people, and, and by all means, you know, I, I am or at least was one of them, a chemist. I worked uh, in manufacturing for a long time, so I was also for quite some time detached from my emotions and bodily sensations. So as rational beings or thinking that we are rational beings, many think that consciously we only take in information with the five senses, right? Hearing, seeing, tasting, smelling, and touching. touching. But once again, neuroscience teaches us that the body also processes information, once again, without conscious awareness. And okay. scientists call that Neuroception, this is a, a process through which the nervous system evaluates risks without awareness. But we can pick up these signals from the body, and this process is then called interoception. But basically what that means is it's the, the sixth sense. And a very common one of, of these, what should I say, uh, realizing the signals is the gut feeling. Mm -hmm. yeah? Okay, yeah, and a gut feeling is again nothing esoteric or fuzzy. It's hard biology, and most of us would be well advised to pay more attention to developing the gut feeling and pay more attention to it. And so, when I when I just reflect on what I just said, so everything that I mentioned is, I would say, quite close to what you call internal self awareness. Now, I've read some of your work, and I know that you also have other components like internal social self-awareness. That is what I usually call perception. Mm -hmm. So beyond how, you know, awareness of the internal self is then how do other people see me and interpret my behavior? And then a lot of my coaching is actually around what I call perception management, yeah. And I think that is related to what, at least to some extent, to what you call external social self-awareness, yeah. where it comes to the uh, regulation part, so to say. Yeah, definitely. What are your thoughts on the relationship between self-awareness and leader effectiveness? Yeah, Definitely, to me, a leader's self-awareness has a huge impact on their effectiveness as a leader. Of course, we can argue again, what do we mean by leader effectiveness? And like I said earlier, to me, leadership is all about creating the conditions 
for people to be their best. Mm-hmm. But when I say for people to be their best, so this then includes the leader. And so when, when leaders approach me for executive coaching, it's usually about mm, some sort of behavioral change. And every behavioral change process starts with self-awareness, right? So on the yeah. most basic level, you need to be aware of what you want to change. Otherwise, how can you possibly change? And then it comes to the next stage, uh, becoming aware how other people perceive you. Eric Schmidt, the, the former CEO of Google once famously said, one thing that people are never good at is seeing themselves how other people see them. Yeah. And you know, then this, this perception management, which is then again related to regulation, self-regulation, perception management is so immensely important when it comes to influencing people, not manipulating, but influencing as a leader in a positive way. Coming back to your, to your question, self-awareness is a prerequisite for good leader effectiveness. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in what you're saying about that perception. And something that I often talk about is, is reputation. And I think mm, yeah. unless you have an awareness of yourself and how you appear to others, your reputation can be significantly impacted in the blink of an eye. Uh, so yes. I think when you're operating in the in the workplace, I think you have to have that attention and that to being conscious of yourself constantly because there are people around you, right around you, 360 degrees. And unless you are conscious of that, somebody's going to spot something that you didn't and were neglectful or careless or not conscious of or not aware of that had that significant impact on you. Absolutely, yes. Do you think effective leaders can be found at all levels of organisations and why? Definitely, yes. So leadership comes not only with the title or the formal authority. Um, Leadership is about influence. It's about creating a positive impact in an organization. And we have this awkward term of individual contributors, right? So the, the people who have formally no direct reports, they're not leading a team. But of course, also these people can very positively or negatively impact the organization through the ways they interact with others. Uh, So again, even if they have no formal authority through their behavior, interaction with others, they can bring out the best in other people. And and that is leadership. And uh, personally, you mentioned um, the levels. We talk about certain hierarchies. And I have uh, also personally seen great leadership on what is often perceived the lower levels. Uh, So I was in manufacturing and I've seen fantastic shift leaders. And, um, you know, you, you, you don't need to be a director, a senior vice president or the CEO to be a great leader. And I think I take this opportunity to say a big thank you to my former manufacturing teams in Germany and Thailand. <laughs> I was speaking to Mari Verano and um, like yourself, she has focused on coaching, but recently has moved to middle managers coaching for that very reason that there are lots of middle managers who maybe don't have that recognition or need that extra support to to move up the levels. Uh, I appreciate that you're focused on executive leadership. Do you have people from 
different organizational layers coming to you, asking for coaching to say, this is the direction I want to go. There, I've got a couple of steps to go. How do I get there? How, what do I need to do? How can you help me? Yeah, that's interesting. So yes, indeed, I work with, first of all, very different people, but also on different levels. And like you said, it's often the executive level, simply because that is where people think, where decision makers and organizations often think they have the biggest impact on the organization. And so um, they think that when they pay for the coaching, they they will see a bigger return on investment. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've, I've just started also working with two younger people. And um, yeah, often it is actually about this. Maybe uh, what comes to mind is another case I work with, where a person was on a director level and applied internally for a GM level. Mm -hmm. And somebody else got the job. And he wanted to make sure that he gets the next promotion. And then I, I also spoke with his boss and said, yeah, I know he's a fantastic guy and I supported the promotion, but then the other people decided differently. And so I interviewed these other people and said, what was going on there? Or tell me about this person and say, yeah, so-and-so, you know, it's really great, works a lot, you know, he gets the job done, end, end, end. And then after this long list of positive attributes, there came this but. Mm -hmm. And it was all around the perception around communication. And it was not that the person did not have the capabilities. He just didn't demonstrate them enough. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, once he was aware of this, he could work on it. And believe it or not, a couple of months later, it was a larger organization. He got a GM uh, position in a, in a different country. Do you think leaders at the most strategic level of organizations have greater self-awareness than leaders at other level of organizations? And really, what's your experience that's informed your view? That is a tough one. So basically, I have only my personal experience or perception. Uh, I haven't seen any comprehensive studies around this except yours, uh, which is more on the public sector. Um, and so my experience is that as a former employee of a multinational corporation and now, of course, as a, as a coach who has worked with numerous different organizations. And I think of it in, let's say, first of all, on one hand, when somebody has advanced to the top of an organization, I think we can assume that they have a certain degree of self-awareness. And I think we can also say with certainty that as these people have been promoted through the ranks, they must have done at least some things right in terms of perception management. Mm, yeah. And um, at least in, in some point in time, they were able to convince these decision makers that they have what it takes to be effective in the top-level role. And um, I've worked with wonderful C-level executive vice presidents, directors, and often thought, wow, you know, I wish we would have more people like you in the corporate world. And at the same time, um, we see regularly top-level leaders derail because of a complete lack of self-awareness. And, and Nia, what you said er uh, earlier about, you said in a blink of an eye, you can ruin your reputation and you're always in the spotlight, right? Let's say if, if we were attendees in a meeting, we could get away with looking at our smartphone. If you are the top person in the room, everybody is watching you. Yeah. And interestingly, while you were talking, I remember 
two examples from German politics. One is a very recent one. The Minister of Defense recently resigned. There were, of course, many things that led to it, but the straw that broke the camel's back was a video she posted on New Year on social media. And, you know, most, I, I assume most people who watch it, how can you be so insensitive? And, and there was a lot of criticism and she stepped back. And exactly this, you know, people spot you. There was a candidate who wanted to become uh, chancellor of uh, in, in Germany, successor of Angela Merkel. And he was spotted while he was visiting a, a flooding site. He was standing far in the background and apparently he or somebody made a joke and he was laughing and, you know, it made the front page of the news and he hasn't become chancellor. Yeah. So um, I wish I could say on the most strategic level, people would have great self-awareness, but it's apparently not always the case. And it's, and it's hard, isn't it? Because that example that you've given, I'm just thinking how innocent he might have just been demonstrating yeah. politeness to somebody who made a slightly funny joke about something totally irrelevant. But what you are seen to be doing at that particular moment is time is captured by somebody yes. and the meaning is derived by that individual. And and, yes. and I think that's a, a, a such a good example of I was expecting to do A, everybody else thought I was doing <laughs> yeah. B, and therefore B is the message that's shared. Yes, yes, yes. And our final question, what do you think is an effective way to develop self-awareness? So I'm, I'm thinking of three, maybe three to four aspects. So most of the time, I think the first step is making time for self-reflection and introspection. And funny enough, it is what, what the Buddha taught already over two and a half thousand years ago. We need to stop and pause and then look deeply. But interestingly, most of the leaders I know, they do not make enough time for reflection. They are all extremely busy. And we live in a world that values action, right? We look in awe at these people who are busy all the time. Um, I don't recall anybody who has been recognized for, for his or her great reflection skills. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, But it, it is hugely important because what I see in my work is that oftentimes all that leaders lead for improvement, for self-development, is a bit more time for reflection. When there are experienced leaders, and that is maybe one difference to what you said earlier, when, when younger people approach me, they sometimes need some knowledge, maybe some leadership models, some how-to. But an experienced le leader, they know enough. Yeah, And so that is actually one reason why we created this podcast all around reflection. We didn't want to offer another five simple steps to do this and this. We want to invite people to reflect so that they can find um, the best answer for themselves. And then, of course, the next level, it may sound like an advertisement, but I genuinely mean it, is then individual coaching. Yeah. where you reflect with a trusted external partner to gain new insights yeah and this has a has a, a different level then the second aspect relates to also what you said earlier so in our everyday life 
we need to remind ourselves to direct at least some part of our attention to the self-awareness part, uh, awareness of our surroundings, the situations we are in. So uh, practically that means I need to observe myself in a meeting or during a phone call. So while I want to bring most of my attention into the meeting or in the phone call, but also then observe, how do I typically respond when X happens? Um, what triggers, and it's usually what other people do, what triggers my frustration or anger, so all these behaviors, habits, and patterns that I know are actually unproductive. And once I've sharpened my awareness, when I know what are the triggers, then I can actively work on, on stopping this automated reaction. Yeah. And I can choose a different response. So awareness allows us to hold that space between stimulus and response. Yeah? So yeah. We, we become more aware of our standard reaction, which is often not very productive. And then we can choose a different response. And the, the third aspect is then understanding perception. Uh, we touched on it briefly. So on one hand, I can observe how are other people responding to me, right? So in, in our conversation, are you still keeping eye contact? Can I see some excitement in your face? Or, you know, do you start nodding off? <laughs> and then I can, of course, ask uh, people for feedback. I can do this individually. I can do a formal 360-degree um, feedback. Or um, as a coach, I also often interview people, so a verbal 360 or also stakeholder interviews. And then the last aspect is then the regulation. And there are three key steps. That is practice, practice, practice. Yeah? And, and taking small steps, we, we can't change our behaviors that we have built over the last 20, 30, 40 or more years. Typically, we can't change them overnight. So take small steps, monitor progress and get feedback uh, along the way. So these are my thoughts about how you can develop self-awareness. Garrett, that's such a helpful list and really something for for listeners to, to think about. And I think it, it probably forms a really helpful plan of action, um, especially if you're new to thinking about how to become more self-aware, how to become more yeah. reflective in your practice. So that's really helpful. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been such a good conversation. Uh, listeners, as ever, we will make sure that there are links in the show notes to the podcast. And it's quite possible that by the time this podcast is going live, that the book that Garrett mentioned will be out in print. So we will put a link to that if we possibly can. Garrett, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute delight having this conversation. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I also thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and all the best to all your listeners. Thank you for joining me, your host, Nia Thomas, and my guest on today's episode. Remember to rate and review this podcast on your favourite podcast player. A little word from you means a big deal to me. Catch you in two weeks' time. Looking forward to having you on my learning journey. The Knowing Self, Knowing Others podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Index, Overcast, Amazon Music, Podcast Addict, Castro, Castbox, Podchaser.